Hey, all you Catholic divas, welcome to episode 13. Today, we're going to ask a really interesting question. Who do you say Jesus is and why does that matter in your life? So come on in the podcast and we're going to have a great discussion. Hello, Catholic divas. Welcome to Cycles and Sanctity podcast. I am Mama Jane, wife to Steve for almost 37 years, mother of six wonderful children, fertility awareness instructor, and a Catholic mindset coach. Are you confused about your cycle? Do you want to learn how charting your cycles can give you insight, not only to your health, but your mental and emotional state as well? And most importantly, using this information to draw closer to God and pursue your path to holiness? If you answered yes, then you are in the right place. Go grab your journal and your favorite pen and let's do this. Welcome back to Cycles and Sanctity podcast. I hope all of our fathers and grandfathers, godfathers, and spiritual fathers had a beautiful weekend. You know, as I was meditating on my interview with Marty Thompson, I wanted to speak about something that we had discussed. Marty shared how at a few points in their marriage, they chose to abstain for a number of months. He said that even at one time, they had to abstain for up to nine months because of his wife's medical situation. Now, first of all, I want to say that this is the reason why you should have a coach like myself to make sure that you can understand the rules so that you can understand how to continue to have a marital embrace while still ensuring your wife's health and well-being. But secondly, while Marty and Diana understood that this was a heroic sacrifice and that was teaching them the freedom from the other sexual sins that they both had, I want to remind you that this was truly heroic. This is not the average family practicing natural family planning. God granted them graces that they needed to participate in this way. And so I know people will hear that story or or many other stories that I've also shared in other episodes and think, if this is NFP, I don't want anything to do with it. So if this is one of your thoughts listening to this podcast, please reach out and contact me. I'll not only help you through the choppy waters of natural family planning, but as a mindset coach, I'll also help you take this or any other thought that you have about natural family planning that's leading you to a circumstance that you don't desire, and I will teach you how to take that through what we call the reason cycle. The reason cycle is to help you discern if this thought is true and if it's leading to your ultimate good. So remember, I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. Another thing I was meditating on after listening to our interview with Marty was his conversion story. And this is really what I want to discuss with you today. In the past few weeks, I've been really blessed in my real life to have met a number of young adults through different situations that are Catholic, and yet they don't really know what that means. Some of them used to go to Mass with their families, or they've told me which parish that their families attend. One girl even shared with me a memory of her going to a Catholic youth conference while she was attending confirmation classes, but she hadn't been to a retreat or any kind of Catholic conference for a number of years. And it's interesting because one of the things that I typically ask people when they share with me that they're Catholic is I ask them how their relationship with Jesus Christ is going. And every single one of these young people that I encountered in the different situations They all looked perplexed to me with a crazy expression, like they did not know what I was talking about. And so I want to share a story with you about Jesus. One day he and his friends, you know, he called them disciples because they were his students. Disciple comes from the Latin disipuli, which means student. And they were walking 
And he asked them a very simple question. Who do people say that I am? Now, I would think that you and I would agree that that's a reasonable question a leader would ask, right? I mean, many of us on social media want to know what other people think of us. We want people to comment on our posts or our reels or whatever. But that really wasn't why Jesus asked this question. As much as he might have been interested in all the comments and opinions of others, this conversation really led to the deeper question that he wanted to ask his disciples. And the next question after they responded was, he looked at his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, if you know who Peter is, he always seems to be the quick action one, right? He jumps out of a boat and he does all kinds of crazy things. But he, at this moment, was the first to respond. And he said, you are the Messiah. We find this story in the Gospel of Mark, and it's interesting because after he said that, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone. But what I find really interesting is that if you continue reading the story, the very next paragraph, Jesus then begins to teach them about what's going to happen to him. He tells them that he's going to be rejected by the religious leaders of the day. They're going to kill him, and on the third day, he will rise And St. Mark even says he spoke this openly, but Peter, who just acknowledged him as the Messiah, pulls him aside and rebukes him for saying this. And you know what? Jesus doesn't take offense. He doesn't get into an argument with Peter. What St. Mark tells us is, at this, he turned around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. If you want, you can find this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. Now, there are a few things that we have to understand. The first is Jesus is an actual historical figure. In other words, he's a true person who really lived over 2,000 years ago. We know he was Jewish. We know he was born in Bethlehem. We know he grew up in Nazareth. And, you know, just like any other historical figure, we can find out all these kinds of facts about his life. Number two is that the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah, a Savior. But see, in their minds, they saw this Messiah as a new King David, someone who would make Israel great again, someone who was going to overthrow the current political system, kick out the Romans, and get Israel back to the glory days. And number three, Jesus Christ is not only fully human, but he truly is God himself. And this is what I want to meditate on today. Do we truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And if we do, what does it really matter? When our Lord begins to predict how he was going to die, he was teaching his disciples who he really is, and he was going to prove it. He told them, I'm going to be killed and three days later rise again. He wanted them to know that their idea of a Messiah was not correct, and they missed it. As a matter of fact, when you go into your Bible and you read this event, the title of that paragraph is The First Prediction of the Passion. Wait a minute, what? The first? Yeah, can you believe it? Jesus not only predicted his death and resurrection, not once, but he told the disciples three different times, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me. But don't worry, after three days, I will rise again. He told them this three different times. Isn't that interesting? 
The other thing I think is just so interesting is that when Peter rebukes Jesus about speaking about his death, Jesus responds by calling Peter Satan. And yet Peter doesn't even remember this. When St. Matthew shares this event, Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, St. Matthew goes into a little bit more detail of how Jesus responds. He tells us, Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm going to share with you, when I meditate on this scene, I'm pretty impressed with what Jesus just did. He gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven, telling him, I'm giving you authority. You are in charge. I remember when I was hired as a director of religious education in a parish, and that first day that I showed up in the parish office, I was given the keys to all the buildings. I was in charge of making sure that they were all taken care of, and I would get called either on Sunday evening or Monday morning if one of the catechists left the lights on in their room or if they left trash or anything else that wasn't supposed to be there, if the chairs were misaligned or something else happened. I was the one that had the authority, and therefore I was the one that had the responsibility. But I also had the responsibility to open the doors. And many of the ministry heads would rely on me because I only lived a few miles away from the parish. And if it was on a weekend and the parish office was closed and somebody hadn't opened a door for one of these ministries to participate in whatever the meeting they were supposed to do, they would give me a call or text me and ask me if I could come and open the door. And of course, I would because I had the keys, right? Now, listen, I'm not saying anything compared to what Jesus just gave to St. Peter, but what I do find is that it's interesting that our Lord promised St. Peter that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and then literally in the next moment, Jesus is calling Peter Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone called me Satan, and especially if that someone was my teacher and I was their student, I would probably listen very carefully. Actually, if I'm honest, I would probably break down in tears because someone just called me a horrible name, especially after that person had given me such a compliment like you are son of Jonah, right? And I now call you Peter and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Like, wow, what a compliment, like what a gift, what responsibility. And then boom, he's called Satan. And yet it's funny because it doesn't seem to phase Peter. Or maybe it did, and that's really why St. Matthew and St. Mark both tell us that Jesus had to rebuke Peter and call him Satan. So why am I making a big deal about Peter and his reaction? Well, I want to point out that even these disciples who lived with this man, Jesus, for three years did not understand or even expect what was going to happen. Many people will tell me that they think Jesus is a prophet or a good man, or that they like his teachings because he includes everyone. But you see, that's not what Jesus said about himself. He told them he is God and he's going to prove it. How was he going to prove it? Through his resurrection. He told his disciples three different times and they didn't hear or they didn't understand or they didn't comprehend because when the event actually took place, they all forgot and acted as if they had never heard of it. You know, when Jesus was arrested on Holy Thursday, 
it's it's not written that any of his disciples said to each other, oh, you know what? Don't worry. It's going to be okay. He's going to rise again. No, they all ran away. Peter denied him three times throughout the night. Where was Matthew or Andrew, James or Bartholomew and all the other disciples? They were nowhere to be seen. The only one who stayed was St. John, who witnessed the whole event, and he walked with Mother Mary all the way up and watched him be crucified and watched Christ die and watched him be buried. And yet, even after his death, did they remember his words that he would rise again? No. As a matter of fact, every gospel writer tells how early in the morning on the third day, Mary Magdalene and two other women went to the tomb with spices to use to anoint the body of Jesus. Nobody goes to a tomb to anoint a dead body when they expect the body to have risen. This is just an important point that we forget because we might have heard this story so many times about Jesus's resurrection, and we just really haven't even thought about it. I mean, listen, do you think when you die, you could rise from the dead by yourself? Could anyone? I mean, why would we be so afraid of death if we could simply rise again because of our own choosing? No, that's ridiculous, right? And if you had someone actually die and be buried like someone you love, like your brother, your mother, your dad, your best friend, would you expect them to rise again after seeing them be buried? No, none of us would. And yet, here's the point. None of the disciples could even think that Jesus would rise from the dead. What's more interesting is that we know that at least twice the disciples actually witnessed Jesus raising people from the dead. The first was the little 12-year-old daughter of Jairus. And if you don't know that story, Jesus came to Jairus's home. The house was filled with mourners and Jesus kicked them out, telling them that the girl's not dead, but only sleeping. And of course, they thought he was crazy. But Jesus went to the girl and woke her up, and she really rose from the dead because she really was dead. And the other story we might be more familiar with is the raising of Lazarus. You know, Lazarus was in the tomb for four days by the time Jesus got there. And even his sister Martha wanted to stop Jesus from having the stone rolled away because she was like, Lord, the body's going to stink. It's been in there for four days. And yet, Jesus did actually indeed raise Lazarus from the dead in front of the whole village. So you think that when Mary Magdalene ran back to tell the disciples what she had actually experienced, that the Lord was alive and well, they might have said something like, oh yeah, remember he was talking about rising from the dead. But no, they didn't. Nobody believed Mary Magdalene except for Peter and John. And this is one thing I always wonder about too. Why didn't James or Andrew follow Peter and John? Why didn't Matthew? Why didn't Thomas? Oh, sweet, wonderful Thomas. You know, he's known as Doubting Thomas, but I really think that we need to be calling him Believing Thomas. So I don't know if you know what happened next, but let me tell you. So Mary Magdalene and the two women had gone to the tomb early in the morning with the spices, and Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, risen, glorified. So she runs back to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive and well. And again, only John and Peter run to the tomb to see what she's talking about. And when they get there, they find that there's no body and only the burial cloth. And they mention that the burial cloth for the face was placed separate from where the burial cloth for the body was, and it was all folded up. Now, let's think about this for a minute. If someone's going to steal a body, they would probably have just taken the whole thing, right? 
Or if they were going to rip the cloth off, they probably would have just thrown it somewhere. I mean, I don't know how many times you've watched any movies or anything when somebody breaks in and is looking to steal something. The house or the place that they break into is pretty much trash because everything's thrown around. But that's not what the case was. These claws were folded intentionally. Isn't that interesting? And so Peter and John were the witnesses to this, and they left confused and amazed. They still didn't really understand what was going on. And so then that night, all the disciples, except for Thomas, were in the upper room with the door locked because they were afraid of being arrested. And Jesus comes to them. The first thing he says to them isn't, hey, guys, didn't you remember what I told you? No. And he didn't even say, hey, guys, why didn't you believe me? No. And more importantly, he didn't even say to them, hey, where were you when I was dying? I was looking for you guys. No, that's not what our Lord said to them. What our Lord said to them was, peace be with you. You see, he had promised them on Holy Thursday night at the Last Supper, he said, peace I give you, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives do I give it. So what is his peace? Jesus' peace is having no ill will. See, he looked at each one of those disciples in that upper room. He knew what they had done. He knew that Peter denied him. He knew that Andrew had run away. And he said, peace be with you. I have no ill will towards you. I only love you. And I only desire your good. And see, that's what Jesus says to you as well. Peace be with you. He only loves you. He only desires your good. And so the funny thing is, is that the rest of the story is after our Lord left that upper room, of course, Thomas came back and all the disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. We spoke to him. But Thomas, this is where he gets his nickname because he would not believe that. As a matter of fact, he was so adamant that he tells the others, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my hand into his side, I will not believe wow, is that an attitude of prove it to me? Well, guess what? Jesus does exactly that. He proves it. In the Gospel of John, we read that now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Again, Jesus doesn't scold them, shame them, or even make them feel guilty because they did not believe. No, he gave them his peace, and he turned to Thomas and told them to put his finger in his side. And instead, Thomas fell to his knees and exclaimed, My Lord and my God. Five simple words. My Lord and my God. If you go to Mass, you may say these words after the consecration, the priest will raise the host, and then after the consecration of the chalice, when he raises the precious blood. You may hear people saying it under their breath, my Lord and my God. What does this mean, my Lord and my God? Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? St. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, and he truly is the Messiah, although not the Messiah that Peter was envisioning. But Thomas replied, my Lord and my God. So let me ask you a question, dear brothers and sisters. What is your answer when Jesus asks you, who do you say I am? And why is answering this question so important? I'm going to tell you, this might just be the most important question that you will ever answer. 
And you may answer like many people at the time of Jesus, oh, he's a crazy person. See, we knew he was a criminal. Otherwise, the Romans wouldn't have crucified him. Or maybe you'd be like St. Saul, who wanted to kill all the followers of Jesus because they were preaching God's forgiveness through Jesus. Well, let me tell you a spoil alert. Saul actually becomes St. Paul, and he's one of the greatest evangelists ever known once he met Jesus. Why am I taking a whole podcast to talk about this question? Well, you see, I understand that if you cannot answer this question and know who Jesus is in your life, then you really won't understand who you are and how truly loved you are. Many people think that Jesus and the Catholic Church are only about rules and about pointing out how bad you are. But let me encourage you to go back to your Bible and read this event for yourself. Listen to the words Jesus says, Peace be with you. I have no ill will towards you. I love you. Jesus loves you so much that he gave his whole self for you. Every ounce of his blood was poured out for you and for me. St. John tells us what the love of God is like in his first letter. He says, In this way, the love of God was revealed to us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. In this, he loved us and sent his son as expiation for our sins. See, he desires life. Jesus didn't suffer this horrible death for you or for me so that he could just turn around and say to us, okay, guess what? Look what I did for you and now you owe me. No, that's not what he does. He forgives and he loves. St. Paul even tells us something crazier. In the letter to the Romans, he tells us, but God proves his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And really, a sinner is just an enemy of God. Whenever we turn away from God, we become a sinner. So if you're one of his followers, like I am, this is what God calls you to act, how I must act as well. But we're all human, right? And you can look around and notice just how much evil there is. But here's the good news. We are made in the image and likeness of God. St. Augustine said, God became man so that man can be like God. What do we mean when we say that we're made in the image and likeness of God? Well, when we say that we are made in the image and likeness of God, we mean that we have an intellect to think, we have a will to choose, we have the capacity to love, and we can experience life. But because of our original wound or original sin, which our ancestors Adam and Eve gave to us, our intellect has been dimmed, our wills have been weakened, we love the wrong things or love the right things in the wrong way, and we have experienced death. But see, Christ came to rescue us from all of this. And this is the good news. Not only has he rescued us, but he's also given us a family so that we can heal from all of these wounds. And that's called the Catholic Church. It's only through Christ's forgiveness and love that we have been given the Holy Spirit to enlighten our intellect, to strengthen our wills, and to love the way Christ desires us to love and experience eternal life. It's through the sacraments that we receive this grace that we need. And the first sacrament that brings us into this relationship with Jesus and his church is called baptism. Jesus told his disciples, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the fullness of the truth. He is the one who created you. He is the one who loves you to the end. He's the one who delights in you and he delights in me. He has a purpose for you and he has a purpose for me. Jesus is the one who desires to share your life with you. All your sorrows, all your pain, all your joy, all your love. You're not alone and neither am I. And the only way our lives make sense is through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who desires you to understand the gift of your body. He gave you this body. He wants you to choose to use your body well. He loves your body and he loves your cycle. He created your cycle. He loves marriage and he loves the marital act. He gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven to St. Peter, and those keys are held through the Catholic Church. And it's the Holy Catholic Church that guides us through her teachings to follow Jesus. What I've spoken about thus far in this podcast, understanding how a woman's body is created, how her cycle works, understanding the beauty of chastity and the single life, understanding the sacrament of marriage and natural family planning, all point back to Jesus Christ. And if we don't know who Jesus is, and what he's done for us, then I'm going to tell you whatever I tell you on this podcast is really all for naught. It's only when we have an encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ, with his love and his mercy, will we actually comprehend the love the Father has for us. The Father has plans for our good and not for evil. He is a Father who gives good gifts. Our cycles, our fertility, our chastity, our unity, our procreativity of the marital act are all good gifts. I have told you my desire is for you, dear brothers and sisters, to become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. And I pray that you come to Jesus and acknowledge him as Thomas did, saying, My Lord and my God, listen to the words he tells you. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find the rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Please, dear brothers and sisters, go seek him. Go to him, whether it's through confession or adoration or receiving him in Holy Communion at Mass. His heart burns for the love of you, and he desires your love for him. I ask through the intercession of St. Paul, that may the God of peace himself make you perfectly holy. May you entirely spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'll talk to you next week. All my love and prayers for each and every one of you. Hey, Divas, I just want to remind you that I am hosting a free online workshop on Monday, the 26th of June at 6 p.m. Eastern. It is Uniquely Beautifully Older You. We're going to be discussing a little bit more detail of how wonderfully and uniquely and beautifully God created you, how much he delights in you and how much he loves you. So go to the show notes, go to my website, and you can register for free.